Welcome to Pursuing Quality Long-Term Care, an educational podcast for individuals needing long-term care and their families. In this episode, Jocelyn Bogdan and Sam Brooks of Consumer Voice take a deeper look at the Biden administration's nursing home reforms that were announced on February 28, 2022. They will break down the five different categories of the reforms and discuss their importance in addressing the inadequate conditions many residents face in their day-to-day lives. Hi, everyone. On February 28, 2022, the Biden administration announced that it would be implementing new nursing home reforms. These reforms include the most significant improvements to nursing homes in decades and take aim at longstanding issues that have, plays, that have plagued nursing home care. They include the creation of a minimum staffing standard in nursing homes, accountability for poor performing nursing homes, increased transparency around ownership and finances, and support for direct care staff. These reforms are critical and desperately needed to address the inadequate conditions that many residents face in their day-to-day lives. The reforms are broken down into five categories, each with several different components. The first one is ensuring taxpayer dollars support nursing homes that provide safe, adequate, and dignified care. The second is enhancing accountability and oversight. The third is increasing transparency. The fourth is creating pathways to good paying jobs with the free and fair choice to join a union. And the fifth is ensuring pandemic and emergency preparedness in nursing homes. We're joined today by Sam Brooks, Consumer Voices Policy and Program Manager to discuss more about what's included in these reforms and why they're so important for residents. So to start with Sam, there are a lot of really important reforms included in this plan, but one of the most important, I think for us and for the people listening falls under the first category, ensuring taxpayer dollars support nursing homes that provide safe, adequate and dignified care. And it's the establishment of a minimum staffing homes, minimum nursing home staffing requirement. This is something that a consumer voice we've been pushing for for decades. And most recently we pushed for and build back better and other legislation. And I think it was really exciting for all of us to see it in this plan, it felt huge. So. Let's just talk about what we know about it so far. Sure, thanks, Jocelyn. Um, I think what's important to state right out front is the first line of the president's announcement was all people deserve to be treated with dignity and respect and to have access to quality medical care. And I think that's the takeaway from this announcement is that the Biden administration is putting residents first. And it's not a surprise to me that the first category is ensuring that residents uh, live in safe, adequate, and dignified care. Um, but the message straightforward from the administration is that it's about residents um, and qual- access to quality care for them. And I think the cornerstone really of this section and probably of the whole plan, and this is in part because CMS, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services said this, is establishing a minimum nursing home uh, staffing standard. Um, currently, there is no federal staffing standard. Uh, the, the current requirement says facilities must have sufficient staff. And with that as a standard, as you can imagine, it's, it's, it's very um, ambiguous and often uh, it doesn't really provide a red line for, for nursing home. Um, for nursing homes to go by. So the, they have announced they're gonna do a study and then implement a standard. And we, we support this extremely. I mean, Consumer Voice and all really other nursing home advocates have really called for this standard for decades. Um, 20 years ago, uh, a study was commissioned by CMS and uh, it was found that nursing home residents need about 4.1 hours of um, uh, nursing care per day. Um, we suspect that number's higher now because people are sicker 
Um, um, so we strongly, we strongly embrace this. We, we look forward to working with administration and making sure that happens. Um, keeping in line with, with this um, idea of safe and dignified care um, was the idea of reducing room crowding. Um, and as you and I were talking before, this is a big issue um, for, for residents. Um, um, the idea that residents should be entitled to be by themselves in their room um, when we go to care. Um, in hospitals or other places, we want to be by ourselves, especially when you have the issue of um, highly uh, communicative diseases. Um, and um, so we see this as a, a, a great step. It's, it's, it's certainly a step about rethinking how we provide care in nursing homes. Yeah, I mean, just to add to that, you know, it's as, as we were saying privately earlier, you know, during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic, a lot of visitation was determined um, by whether or not you had a roommate. And so that's, you know, another reason why having private rooms is helpful. But I also know that both of my grandparents had the ability to fight to have private rooms in their facilities. And I, you know, I know many people out there today, many residents we talked to who do share rooms, and it's very difficult. It's very difficult if their roommate needs something in the middle of the night and they can't sleep. It's, there are a lot of reasons why when a nursing home is your home, having your private space is really key. So, I mean, that's something I wasn't, I mean, I don't think we were expecting to see these reforms in general, but that is something that I'm really happy that the Biden administration called out. I also just want to point out that you know, when we've, you know, we've, as I said earlier, been pushing for this minimum nursing home staffing requirement, when we saw something similar in legislation earlier this year, last year, um, it required a pretty long study to help determine how, how, what we should be looking for in terms of what that minimum staffing standard is, and we wouldn't have reached a minimum staffing standard in some of this legislation for a long time. I think something that's really unique and exciting about this plan is that it says that it will be determined within one year. So this isn't something that we're gonna have to wait to see a study and have to wait five years down the road. Within a year, we will see this minimum staffing standard um, embraced at the federal level, which is really exciting. Yeah, I think that's really important. I mean, people need change now. Um, if anything has made clear during the pandemic is that understaffing is, uh, really endemic to the industry. And it's really the number one defining um, care, uh, defining uh, driver of health outcomes. And uh, so we're really excited to see this. Um, and, you know, there certainly has been sufficient studies throughout, you know, the past years, really giving an idea of what that standard should be as well. So we hope that CMS relies on that. And another thing I hope that it's important is that when the regulations promulgated, it's really spelled out by shift, how many how many staff members should be there? Um, it really gives um, clear and uh, concise uh, guidance or um, uh, about how the the minimum should be implemented. Um, another a, sorry, sorry. no no no. I was just going to say that's a really good point. I had a conversation with residents about two weeks ago where. Um, they were talking about the difference in shifts and how, you know, sometimes there is adequate staffing in the morning, they're able to get out of bed, they're put in a wheelchair, and they sit there and they don't know if there's going to be adequate evening staff to put them to bed, they end up in pain waiting for someone to come in. And so even if you have adequate shift during the day, if that nighttime staff isn't there, you do still face many of the same issues. So that's a really good point. Yeah, and that's really about dignity, what, which is in the first sentence of uh, the announcement, right. as I said, um, is that when you strip residents of assistance and of help, I mean, many of these residents, as we talked to, 
are really dependent upon staff to, to even get out of bed, as you said, or to dress. And when you strip them of that assistance, you strip them of dignity. Um, so um, this is all about the resident. And, and that's what we're really excited about. Another provision in there um, is um, the uh, promise to address um, the unnecessary use of medications and treatments. Um, this is specifically, we believe, an allusion to the use of antipsychotic medications. Um, antipsychotic medications are um, unfortunately used by some nursing homes to sedate residents that may have more high, have higher care needs. Um, oftentimes, uh, these can be uh, residents with dementia who have um, explained certain behaviors. And rather than providing care, either because they're understaffed or um, for other reasons, they sedate them with antipsychotic medications. We've seen this, especially during the, the pandemic, rise um, uh, significantly. And it's a problem that CMS has acknowledged as well. Um, we have, we fought for reform in this about 10 years ago, they made promises to bring them down, but nevertheless, they're on the rise again. Um, so we, we hope we're looking forward to seeing what the details are around um, raising the safeguards and um, making sure that uh, these, these types of medications aren't used. No, that's right. And that also brings us back, I think, to inadequate staff members, because a lot of times these drugs are used as chemical restraints when staff don't have the time or ability to figure out what's happening with a resident and what they really need. And there are lots of other interventions that could be occurring before we even get to these drugs. But, you know, again, you know, you mentioned them rising during the pandemic when staffing levels went lower than they had been before, staff were overworked, they didn't have the ability to figure out what was going on with residents. And, you know, that's, that's why we saw those numbers, unfortunately, go up. And it should, just to be clear, it should never happen anyway. And residents always have the right to say no to those medications and their families have the right to work with them on that. But, but we do realize it's a very big problem in nursing homes today. Yeah, and I mean, back to staffing, I mean, one of the most defining factors of how facilities did during the pandemic was um, staffing. You know, it's Connecticut study and it's cited in the president's announcement. You know, just a small incremental increase in uh, nursing RN hours there just in, uh, led to the significant um, reductions in both cases and deaths in nursing homes. And we've seen that in studies in California and across the country. Um, so staffing is really the linchpin um, to you know, care when we're not in a pandemic, but it becomes even more so um, necessary when, when, when we are. Um, one other thing to touch upon before we move on is that the, um, they promised to strengthen what they call the value-based purchasing program. And this is a program um, that awards facilities, incentivizes good performance um, by awarding facilities financially um, uh, when, they, when they achieve um, positive outcomes. And uh, again, not a lot of detail on what that is, um, but it looks like they're going to incentivize quality staffing um, and um, quality staffing and with staff retention, but also um, outcomes in, in residents' lives. So we were happy to, to hear that as well. Yeah, so, so let's move on. Um, the second um, section of these reform plans is enhancing accountability and oversight. And, you know, as we've talked internally at Consumer Voice, you know, a lot of this is going to require Congress to take action, but there's some things that CMS can do um, on their own. And so let's just, let's talk about those a little bit. 
I think that you should, should have pointed that out earlier is that this is an ambitious plan and some of them will require congressional action. We'll talk about some of those right now. And some of them CMS can do of its, uh, of its own accord. And, um, but nevertheless, Consumer Voice will be fighting both with, not fighting against them, but fighting with mm -hmm. CMS to, and with Congress to make sure they're passed. So uh, in the next category is, you know, one that is near and dear to, to Consumer Voice and to other nursing home advocates is really um, strengthening how uh, oversight and accountability is practiced in nursing homes. It, as most people know, state agencies run, um, are, are primarily responsible for inspecting nursing homes annually, but also investing complaints. And uh, inadequate investment in those um, activities have really led um, to, to poor performance um, and uh, really precipitated, in our opinion, the, the problems in the pandemic. Um, we, 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 see, we see this lack of um, adequate um, funding for inspection activities and um, really as one of the prime um, drivers of, of bad care. And this is something that um, the Biden administration um, would have to get Congress to do. Um, and sorry, go ahead. No, no, I just I just wanted to add in, you know, in, in talking about this, I know a lot of our listeners might have relatives in nursing homes. And I know that throughout the pandemic, pandemic isn't over, but at the beginning of the pandemic, I spoke to a lot of family members and residents who were in not great situations. And the advice that at Consumer Voice, we give them, you know, speak to your ombudsman, but also to file a complaint with your state survey agency when something goes wrong. And the amount of people we spoke to during the pandemic, you know, and then of course, surveys were, things were put on hold for quite a while. But even once they started up again, the amount of people who we spoke to who said that there was no action, you know, that, that nothing's happening, that their, you know, complaints are going ignored. I really think this is a category that might sound a little bit high level to people, but that is actually really relatable because this is, yeah. These surveys need to these nursing homes need to be inspected. This needs to be happening, um, and so this is this is a really important component of this. Yeah, they're proposing. Well, they're going to ask Congress for five hundred million dollars to increase the the budget for survey activities, and that's a twenty five percent increase over what it is now. And what that would lead to, hopefully, is more surveyors, uh, better mm -hmm. training, more resources. Um, um, to ensure that you know you can have all the regulations in the world, but if you're not enforcing them, um, that's right. You know you're really not not going to make it. <laughs> it's not going to make a difference. Um, another thing that they had proposed, and again, this would have to be done by Congress, is um, uh, increasing the daily uh, maximum penalty to a million dollars. Um, uh, currently, it's uh, I believe twenty one thousand um, mm -hmm. or something in that vicinity. That's um, right. And um, obviously, we see the lack of financial um, uh, penalties as, as really one of the drivers of why care, poor care persists. It's just the cost of doing business. Oftentimes, violations aren't found, or when they are, the fine, fines are so uh, minimal that it, pay, it, it's, it makes better sense for facilities to pay the fine rather than to address the problem. Um, so we were right. excited to see that, that, that the, they're really concerned about upping um, the penalties um, because as we know, nursing homes, for many of them, their bottom line is, is profits and eating into those can help um, ensure that they're, they're complying with the regulations. 
That's right. No, I, I agree with that totally. And you're right. It is the cost of doing business. They would rather do something wrong and pay a small fine for it than actually fix their behavior and make things better. And so by increasing that fine to something that makes it difficult for them to continue their behavior, hopefully we'll see some positive changes in some of these facilities. Uh, another thing that the Biden administration is going to be doing is calling upon Congress to grant them, grant CMS some, some, new uh, powers, I guess you would say, to um, uh, create licensing requirements or ownership requirements for nursing homes. We all know, um, we see it in the paper, there was just a story um, uh, last week um, about an owner who, um, a private owner actually owns hundreds of homes, mostly with a poor history of care, but yet he's continuing to buy up dozens, dozens of new homes, and no one is doing anything about it. Um, and uh, the, the Biden plan calls on Congress to provide CMS um, the power to prohibit an individual or an entity, I guess a corporation, from getting a Medicare or Medicaid provider agreement um, to, uh, based on their history um, in other care. Um, in other uh, nursing homes, um, which is great. So uh, there would be more scrutiny on um, the ability for um, these these um, bad actors to um, prevent them from buying up homes. Because often the homes they buy up are in poor um, poor shape and poor performing, and, and that just perpetuates the problem. And again, who suffers? Residents. Um, and uh, one other sec, one other part in this was um, asking Congress to give CMS the enforcement authority at the ownership level, which means they could fine owners even after um, a facility had closed, or if there was a there was a pattern or a history across the homes they owned of providing substandard or not being compliant with the regulations. Which again, it's low on details, but it's really getting to that issue now about how um, a lot of ownership of homes is, is consolidated either into um, uh, corporations. Now we have the issue of private equity, and we can talk about that more in a second, mm -hmm. um, but really holding facilities accountable, um, not just for one home, but for, for um, the care provided across a large swath. So, so we've talked a lot about actions that Congress can take and what we need Congress to do to sort of see these um, implemented. What can CMS do in this category right now that would get us some change immediately or more quicker? Yeah, that's in this area, there was certainly a, a couple of things that um, the Biden administration promised, including beefing up um, the what they call the special focus facility program. This is a program that um, is, is administered um, by CMS and um, looks at the most poor performing homes in the country. Um, unfortunately, um, it only accepts a certain percentage, a couple percent of the homes are in the program, I think two and a half. There's a long waiting list, and we all, know, unfortunately, many of those homes that aren't on the list could be on the list. Um, That's right. So it's a program that has long been good in theory, but not necessarily great in practice. Um, so uh, they promised to beef up the program by um, increased scrutiny of these homes and, and intervening more to make sure that care um, improves more quicker, more quickly, excuse me. Um, they, they would be subject to increased uh, uh, surveys before getting out of the program. And also more um, 
punitive measures too for facilities that don't improve. They're in this program and they don't improve, even terminating them from participation in Medicare and Medicaid. Um, that's of course an extreme um, uh, action that's not, not taken often, um, but nevertheless, some of these homes just are historically bad year after year. Um, and the, at the end of the day, it's, it's residents who suffer. Um, and they also talked about increasing um, technical assistance uh, um, to nursing homes to, to help them improve, and that would be through quality improvement organizations or QIOs, um, in having these QIOs intervene uh, more with poor performing homes with strategies and um, ways to maybe bring up the level of care. Thanks. And so, you know, you've already talked and touched on quite a bit um, on, you know, corporate ownership and, you know, sort of the issues that come with that. Yeah. Moving into the next category, which is increasing transparency. You know, there are a lot of different components that try to reach out to, you know, transparency, both of facility ownership and finances and, and just making it more obvious to the public who's owning these facilities, what is happening in them. Um, and, you know, I mean, a lot of families today, if they are looking for a nursing home for their loved one, go onto, you know, the Nursing Home Care Compare website, and they really can't figure out what's going on. Um, they don't really know um, what, what the data means. They don't understand who owns their facilities. Um, and so can we talk a little bit about what happens in this category um, and how, you know, it, things will become, hopefully become more obvious to both residents who are living in facilities and to families who might be looking for facilities to their loved ones in terms of ownership. And also, you know, when we hear facilities say that they can't hire more staff because they right. don't have the money for that, um, you know, well, then show us where the money is. Um, how right. are you using it? Um, so exactly. if we could just kind of, yeah. yeah this, is, this is a really interesting um, and I think it's a very important category. They're all important. Absolutely. This one, this one really gets at the heart of the matter. I mean, in the preface to the to the bullet points in this, it says, for too long, corporate owners and operators have not been held to account for poor nursing home performance. And that is something we agree with 100%. And there's some really bold steps here. So not only increase transparency for consumers, but also really for the taxpayers and for CMS. That's right. Um, and I think one of... Um, the most important uh, uh, provisions in this is improving transparency of facility ownership and finances. Um, oftentimes, when you go into a nursing home these days, you don't know who owns it. Um, That's right. Uh, the owner, the owner could be one company, and then there's a corporation that owns it. Um, it could be a private equity firm. Nursing homes often exchange um, uh, ownership without even um, residents being aware of it. Um, so this, in this section, there are some provisions that were in the Affordable Care Act, if you can believe it, the Obamacare, um, that <clears throat> addressed uh, transparency and corporate ownership in nursing homes. They were never implemented. Um, they are called the Section 6101 of the uh, Affordable Care Act, and they're really some um, robust, the law is robust and requires the promulgation or creation of regulations that would require transparency, not only in um, the, the immediate home, but in all the sort of related parties that um, exist around nursing homes. How you do it with a nursing home now is you own the home, then you create all kinds of companies. You create a laundry company, you create a nursing company, you create a food company, and you put those in another name. And then you charge 
And then those companies charge the nursing home exorbitant fees, but the profits are going to you. And then there's other companies and other um, uh, certain, I call it black magic accounting, that really makes it impossible to see where all this money is going. And the important thing is it's not going towards care. And like you said, oh, we don't have enough money. But we don't know. $89 billion in 2019 nursing homes got in Medicare and Medicaid funds. And we really have no idea how many of those dollars went to staffing or to resident care. Um, so it's really important that we focus not only on the ownership, but the finances as well. We want to know every interested party that's involved with a nursing home for transparency's sake. But we also want to know what's going on with the money. Um, uh, we certainly, if there isn't enough money, um, we will certainly cross that bridge when it comes. But until we know, it's irresponsible right. of us to give more taxpayer dollars um, to, to nursing homes. So that's been their refrain for decades. And we've given them more and more and more. They got 21 billion extra dollars during the pandemic. And we saw no, um, no change at all in the level of care in nursing homes. So that's not the solution anymore. The solution is looking at where the money is going now, um, how it's being spent and ensuring that our dollars are going towards care. So we hope that the Biden uh, administration will not only implement those provisions in the Affordable Care Act, but also require more rigorous economic um, financial reporting, something like a consolidated cost report um, that really um, requires nursing homes to divulge where where the money, money is spent. Um, Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I was going to say that that's absolutely right. And I think, you know, we have these conversations all the time where we're talking about, you know, facilities saying or, you know, the industry saying they don't have the money to do certain things. And, you know, repeatedly, it's like, well, well show us that, you know, yeah, I mean, this isn't yeah. this isn't rocket science. Like, this is something that that they can produce for us. And I just, you know, I want to go back to also what you were talking about in terms of transparency of facility ownership. You know, I spoke to a resident recently, I've spoken to him several times, who has said, you know, part of why he chose his facility was because of the ownership. You know, he went into it knowing who owned his facility. Right. And then, as you described, and it makes me think of, of my own student loans, you know, as they like travel between one company to another to another. And I'm like, who right. owns them now? Um, that's exactly what happened. You know, the facility was sold and sold again. And during the pandemic, it was sold, I think it was in May 2020, he mentioned, and it was sold to a private equity firm. And at that point, he said it was it was impossible to find out anything about who owned his facility. And while they had had a lot of problems with the previous company, and they were, you know, they, they were hopeful that things would only get better. In fact, things got a lot worse. It seemed to him that a lot less of the money and funds were going towards resident care. And he actually saw staff start to leave under this new company and go work for the previous company that no one was happy about to start with, but that, you know, provided better opportunities for staff and we'll come to sort of staffing issues in a minute. Um, but, but he, I mean, he's a pretty smart guy, wasn't able to find anything out about right. his new owners. And it's just, it's absurd to think that this is where you live, this is your home. and you don't know who's in charge. Yeah, I mean, that's become such a problem in private equity that and it, President Biden actually mentioned it, not only in the announcement, but in the State of the Union, um, which means that um, we, can't rem yeah, we can't remember the last time nursing homes were mentioned in um, a State of the Union, and um, he's calling for increased scrutiny. I mean, studies have shown that nursing homes with, that are owned by private equity firms um, have poorer outcomes. 
Um, I think one study, I forget, it was last year, the year before, showed that um, uh, the mortality rate of Medicare recipients rose 21% when it was under private equity. Uh, so there's documented instances of um, just how bad care gets. And that's because private equity are investment. They're not in it to provide care. They're in it to make a buck. And they're in it for that's five right. to seven years. Um, and it's just, it's reprehensible um, that they're allowed to, you know, participate in healthcare when healthcare isn't about um, investment. Um, it's about investing in residents. Um, and they, they these folks have no incentive to um, to invest in care. So we, we welcome that. That is one of the, one of the um, provisions under this category that we welcome and we hope um, uh, will be robust. And just one more thing here is a lot of those, a lot of the accounting mechanisms adopted private by private equity are brought, adopted by a lot of the industry. Um, you know, the use That's of, right. uh, you know, hiding related party transactions, you, accounting mumbo jumbo. Um, that's why these overall um, transparency, ownership, and finances are important. Um, just focusing on necessary private equity won't get to the to the full meat of the problem. That's right. I was going to, if you hadn't pointed that out, that's what I was going to say, that, you know, private equity is a huge problem, and I'm so glad it's being specifically called out. But at the same time, we see these issues with a lot of the different corporations that own these facilities. And, you know, the same holds true for them, that they, they're in it for the business. They're in it to make money. They're not in it for resident care. And that's, that's a problem. Yeah, yeah, it's um, hopefully these these um, announced steps will will address that. So we're excited. A couple other things that were nice in this um, category as well, and these are more. Um, I mean, I think these are all consumer related, but really these are about um, a couple of provisions that are really about getting more information out um, right. to to um, consumers and residents and their families um, is the promise of creating a database of nursing home owners and operators. Um, what that database will look like, we're not sure, but it's, it's looking to track and identify owners and operators across states. So it's the idea of connecting um, uh, owners with the homes that they own across uh, uh, large swaths. It's it, like for this, this other owner, he has 900 homes I was talking about across different states. Um, and this will provide sort of a registry, I guess they're calling it, um, to uh, give not only a profile of a, a certain home, but profile of um, uh, health and safety inspections for other homes, um, and also help not only consumers, but I think um, states as well to look at how um, that owner who's applying for a license or applying to own a home, how that care, how the level of care is in other homes. So this this is going to be a complex thing. There's a lot of nursing homes, and the and um, without you know transparency and ownership, it'll be hard for CMS to do this. But That's right. I think I think it's important, and it's something that um, we must have for for residents and for and for their families and consumers. That's right. And I'm the the other category I think in this in this section um, is, you know, making nursing home care compare a little more useful yeah. for consumers. Um, do you want to? Yeah, this is, you know, this one is um, it's equally important. Again, this just goes to show how much this plan is about helping residents and consumers um, right. um, with these decisions. I mean, it, it, Nursing Home Compare is a, is a site run by Medicare. Um, it's really the only, one of the only resources 
that you can go to to look at a nursing home. You can go and look in your neighborhood and nursing homes will come up and you'll get, um, there's a rating system and there's, um, you can even look at a, a home's uh, history, their, their, the, the, the survey history, um, but it's flawed. And there's a lot of things in nursing home compare um, that can be misleading to, um, to uh, consumers. And one of the announcements was that um, looking at, you know, when a staffing standard is implemented, that will be on nursing home compare and also changing um, how uh, uh, the ratings in nursing home compare are made. Currently, um, there's several ratings. And we just issued a report on this. There's several ratings. You have an overall star rating, five stars. You have a rating based on your staffing, a rating based on your um, health inspections, and a rating based on sort of an opaque, mysterious quality measure. Uh, <clears throat> staffing one is based on um, uh, your payroll data. You can look at the payroll data and estimate how many people were working at a facility at a certain time. Um, the health inspections is based, again, on state surveys. Flawed, but not based on data um, solely from uh, nursing homes. But the quality metric um, rating um, is different. It's based, the majority of it is based on um, reporting of data by nursing homes. It's not audited, it's not looked at. And what you'll find is that nursing homes often have really poor uh, staffing and uh, health inspection ratings, but really high quality measure ratings. And if, if you have a high quality measure rating, say five stars, it can bump up your overall rating. Right. Um, so nursing homes have learned how to inflate their quality measures. And quality measures look at long-term and short-term goals, um, um, such as um, did the resident return to uh, the nursing a nursing home or the emergency room after discharge, um, and so it, it's highly dependent upon how um, the facility characterizes their care, and it's really bad because um, how can a nursing home with one star in staff and one star in health ratings have five stars in quality measures? And um, it really threatens the system because it inflates overall score, but it also really makes, makes the other ratings um, inconsequential. Um, so one of the things that Biden announced was that the, um, they're gonna rely more on verifiable data, you know, data that is not just from nursing homes, but can be verified, authenticated. Um, and we strongly support that because again, um, nothing is gonna be perfect, but the more that we rely on objective and uh, of data, the better uh, uh, residents and family members are going to be able to make informed decisions uh, about their healthcare. Thanks. So let's move on to the fourth category, which um, is creating pathways to good paying jobs with a free and fair choice to join a union. Now we hear, all the time from facilities that there is no workforce, that there is no right. one for them to hire, that nobody wants these jobs, um, you know, and, and much like they say they don't have the money to hire people and never actually show that, um, we know that there are, are a lot of problems with jobs in nursing homes today. Um, and so, you know, this category tries to really touch on that um, and make these jobs, you know, more, I think, professionalized um, and more attractive to people in the workforce. Yeah, I mean, I think we're in a situation now, a crisis of the industry, nursing home industry's own creation. Um, I mean, right. prior to the pandemic, nursing homes were, um, uh, not all nursing homes, but many were uh, uh, 
very understand. And uh, many facilities often relied on um, families to provide care. And um, that's how they made their money. They understaffed their facilities. CNAs, you know, nurses aides were tasked with taking care of 20 to 30 residents. You can't right. do that. You're paid low wages. And then you add to this the pandemic. Suddenly families are locked out. Um, there's no one there to supplement that care. And you're left giving CNAs, these poor CNAs who are only earning a small amount. They don't get health benefits. They don't get vacation. They're not protected by a union, um, even in worse situations. And turnover just started to skyrocket. You can't pay enough someone enough um, to, to, to be in that situation. The residents were dying by the thousands a month. Um, and to ask um, a nurse aide um, to stick and stay with that um, is it, just, it's unreasonable. So it, this shit needs to be turned, but it's going to have to be turned by investing in um, staff and, and staff training um, and right. improving staffing. And so in this category, they look at making sure that staff training is affordable, um, which is, of course is important. We want highly trained staff. Um, uh, untrained staff is, is a nightmare, both for trained staff, but also for residents who uh, that they can harm. No, that's right. And I mean, I, you know, one thing I've heard before is that, you know, the, the staff don't want to deal with training or they're, you know, they're, they're fine with how things are. And I mean, you know, personally, to me, that seems incredibly um, patronizing and condescending towards this workforce because everybody wants to know what they're doing, you know? I mean, we saw during yeah. the pandemic, you know, when, when the training requirements that do exist were waived, we had many people walking into facilities literally off the street with right. no idea how to care for residents. And that created, I mean, we've talked to, to other CNAs, we've talked to residents about the situations that that created for them. And it was, it was dangerous. Residents got hurt, CNAs got hurt. And, you know, nobody wants to walk in a job, not be, walk into a job, not being equipped for what they're doing. Um, and so, yeah, I just think this is, this is a really important point because again, you know, it's, it's hard though for a CNA who's not making a lot of money to even consider themselves to be in a professional field sometimes just because of the way that they're treated by the facility exactly. and the way that, you know, they're dismissed by the facility. Right. And, that, and that's why unions um, support a minimum staffing standard because you're not just supporting residents, which is the primary concern, but you're supporting other staff. You know, when when staff are collaborating and when they're not overworked and they're seeing that um, a facility is investing um, in the workforce, they're, they're more likely to stay. Um, but you put these just inordinate pressures, as you said, on uh, on uh, staff and they're going to leave. And um, that's why we, we, we support the affordable training. Um, uh, we also support, um, they're launching, it sounds like they're in collaboration with the Department of Labor. They're going to work with outside um, entities such as training, intermediaries, apprenticeship programs, in even labor unions and attracting and training and retaining um, workers. Um, uh, and um, which sounds, which sounds great. It's gonna take an investment. Um, yes. But, um, we also, they also sound like they're, they, they want to invest and work with states um, uh, to, to find a way to ensure that um, some Medicaid payments are go towards wage and benefits um, um, and increasing um, experience for, for increased experience specialization, because this is important. You know, um, minimum staffing will help not only residents, 
but it will help um, uh, staff as well. And until we have minimum staff, you're never going to have a, 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 a workforce that isn't turning over um, because right. uh, people just will not want to work in, in these conditions. No, that's absolutely right. And I was just going to mention, I mean, the one thing we see in a lot of nursing homes is, is an incredibly high, like 100% turnover rate. Um, yeah. And that's, and that is because, you know, there aren't enough staff, the situations staff are put in are difficult. They don't get benefits like sick leave yeah. or things like that. And during the pandemic, that made things really impossible for them. Um, and so speaking of the pandemic, to get to the fifth category today, um, ensuring pandemic and emergency preparedness in nursing homes. Um, so this is the final category of the plan. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm happy to see that it sort of emphasizes the pandemic isn't over. Um, again, nursing homes were probably the most affected um, place and residents were the most affected population during the height of the pandemic. Um, and so it's it's good to see that the administration put this in there and is paying attention to this and trying to do what they can to not have a recurrence of what we saw in 2020 and 2021 and even into this past winter. So yeah, no surprise. I mean, at the top of the list is vaccination and boosters. I mean, it, right. it, it, nursing home residents, I mean, I don't want to say they're safe, but the only thing that has proven effective um, against COVID has been the vaccine um, and um, boosters, which are saving thousands of lives a month. Um, so one of the priorities is to, and, and you know, they've been, the, the administration has been strong on this, um, requiring um, staff um, to be vaccinated um, as well. And um, so they're going to increase, um, or not increase, but they're going to continue um, uh, access to vaccinations and boosters for both staff and residents and also focus on testing as well. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, testing, testing is so important to, to identify outbreaks, um, to make sure people who are positive or isolated, we're in congregate settings here. So testing, testing is, is really important. And, you know, one of the shocking, a couple of the shocking things for me during the pandemic is the Office of Inspector General, I believe it was Office of Inspector General, um, it might've been the General Accountability Office, I'm not so sure, but regardless, um, in the years prior to um, the pandemic, uh, 82% of facilities had an infection control violation with over 50% having repeated problems. Um, and that stems from just not investing in infection control, um, not investing in infection control right. preventionists, not having qualified full-time infection control preventionists. Um, Trump administration made some changes to infection control requirements and the, the uh, uh, Biden administration is promising to reverse this, but they want to um, release, create, clarify, I guess, and uh, increase um, the qualifications for infection control prevention. So, I mean, if anything has highlighted this need, um, it's the pandemic. I mean, we heard months into the pandemic, the previous CMS administrator was saying, we're still seeing people not washing their hands. And this is after right. thousands of people have died. So uh, hopefully this is something that we will take that we'll learn from the pandemic. And I think that's an overarching theme for the rest of them, you know, in integrate pandemic lessons and mm -hmm. um, enhance requirements for pandemic and emergency preparedness. These are two things that obviously if we can't learn from how devastating that um, contagious diseases can be to nursing homes, um, we have to take away what we learned from, from the pandemic. Mostly what not to do, um, we fumbled through 
Um, and um, those mistakes must inform um, going forward how, how we react to, um, hopefully, we don't have another pandemic, but should it happen, um, how we react to it. No, that's, that's, those are all really good points. And, you know, and I think that, you know, what we saw during the pandemic in terms of staffing and all of the other things that you've talked about today are part of why the administration came out with these reforms. But, you know, as, as we've talked about, you know, over this, you know, past half hour or so, these aren't problems that are unique to the pandemic. These are things that existed before and will continue to exist after. And I think we've gone over all of the different parts of this reform plan, um, but I think it's important for everyone to understand, you know, the, the day that these were announced, I think in our office, we were all so excited, you know, it was just like yeah. this moment of victory where, you know, we finally see something happening that's really positive for nursing home residents, and that's going to make really positive change in people's lives. But this is hard to do. I mean, these reforms, as we've talked about, some of them can be done through CMS. Some of them are going to require Congress, um, but they're all going to require a lot of work, both mm -hmm. you know from organizations like ours and from people listening to this podcast. Um, yeah. Over the over the past month in March, um, at Consumer Voice, we had a month of action, um, marching forward um, with residents, and you know it was it was really a way to mobilize and get people started. Um, but it's going to take sustained effort, I think, on everybody's parts. You know, these all sound like great reforms, but they're not going to happen overnight, and they're not going to happen without a lot of effort on everybody's part, so. Yeah, and, and to kind of um, give a pep talk, these reforms, which were announced by the Biden administration, alluded to at the State of the Union, come from decades of efforts by nursing home advocates. This, it's a victory in and of itself that this document exists. So, I mean, I think a lot of us through our careers, we feel like nothing changes, nothing changes. But this is proof that through action, um, through all of the help that we get from our from families and residents and our networks, that change can occur. Doesn't mean we rest on our laurels, but this document uh, in and of itself is proof that advocacy works. Um, and we have to continue to work together to make sure that these are implemented. But um, it's, it may seem like a steep hill, but getting this document issue was a steep hill and we climbed it. And now it's time to make that, to, to reach the summit for lack of a better term. Well, I think it's nice to end with a pep talk. So thanks so much for joining us today. Um, and Pleasure. yeah, we appreciate it. And Thanks for more information, you can go to our, sorry, Dustin, more information, you can go to our website and we have a little summary there of all the provisions. Sounds good. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Pursuing Quality Long-Term Care is a program of the Avoiding Drugs as Chemical Restraints Consumer Education Campaign, a partnership of the National Consumer Voice for Quality Long-Term Care and AARP Foundation. Make sure to visit our website, theconsumervoice.org slash pursuingquality, where you can share your story with us, subscribe to the podcast, and find more information about the campaign. If you enjoy the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next episode. Music